Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Podcast, where I interview founders and co-founders, entrepreneurs and artists, executives and stay-at-home hipsters in crypto and blockchain around the world. And I have an amazing podcast for you today. Let's get to it. Uh, today, I have a very special guest. Uh, his name is Vibhav Kadakar. He is the Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Close Cross. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure being here. It's great to have you here. I uh, want to start out just uh, by asking first, what is your background and how does it relate to what you do now at Close Cross? Okay. So my background is very varied, right? So uh, as most founders do, I've had a parallel career where I had a corporate life to pay for the bills, but the fire of entrepreneurship was always burning throughout the last two and a half decades, let's say it like this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not going to discuss about my uh, corporate career because that's not relevant, but in the startup um, space, and 99 was when I started uh, putting out some ventures, one of which was uh, a loyalty-based digital currency. Uh, I thought, you know, internet is here, internet's going to need its own money. Uh, so we floated that. We got a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, it wasn't blockchain-based, by the way. It wasn't around at that time. Uh, however, you know, uh, critical acclaim does not pay the bills. And it died a natural financial debt simply because the world wasn't ready by saying, who are you to issue a digital currency? Um, now the world has changed a lot. Anyways, the lesson we learned in 99 was that the next time we have a good and big idea, we shouldn't launch when we are ready, but we should launch when the world is ready, right? Um, for almost a decade thereafter, I traded derivatives of my own accord. Uh, so I had my own desk, if you wish. Um, and essentially what I thought was that the centralized derivative space, which still exists today, is a very biased forum. And you know, it's no surprise that more than 75% of the traders lose money trading against the centralized derivatives issuers. And so I thought to myself, there must be a level playing field where it's just traders and traders alone trading between themselves. And I was convinced that if I'm thinking about it, it must exist. So, and that was around 2007, summer of 2007, right? Um, so I searched a little bit for a while, uh, nothing came up. And so I decided to make it myself. So that's how it feeds into my background. And it comes from personal experience from trading derivatives uh, of what we are trying to do at Close Cross, which is where we eliminate the need for any derivatives issuer whatsoever and replace the one-to-one -one relationship that exists today between a derivatives issuer and a trader, and they settle one-on-one -on -one between themselves into a multi-party environment where we can take thousands of traders and all their trades are put into one single smart contract without needing any centralized party. And there is a direct settlement between all of those traders. That sounds good to me. I, I trade crypto uh, and to do that in a bulk, it would be phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And so this, this is where we came in. So, I mean, you can imagine, right. And I'm going probably a little bit off tangent to the script of the podcast, but the idea is to say the centralized parties, of course, provide quite a few functions, but the key function is that they have a dark pool of funds, which they use to settle the derivative trades. And 
we don't need a centralized party to provide that funds because the traders can provide the funds as well. <laughs> so the traders are pooling the funds and there's a direct settlement between them. And in flipping it to a multi-party scenario, what we are also eliminating is the component of leverage, right? Now the traders who are trading derivatives want to have a very nice return on their investment, absolutely. So we shouldn't compromise on that. But what we should eliminate and find a cure for is the cancer that is leverage. I mean, just today you saw articles coming out of a hedge fund collapsing, right? Uh, because they took on very high leverage trades, which went south. Now you've also got centralized vested parties who issue you derivative contracts, but then can influence the price of the assets on the other side. Something what you saw last Friday when everybody was thinking that there's going to be a capitulation of Bitcoin simply because there is a settlement date for the forward contracts, right? These are the two things which are really bad for a normal retail trader. And this is what we are addressing at close course, right? So by creating a multi-party setup, we said, why would you need to have leverage going up and down between two parties when we can actually keep leverage as a constant at one, but changing the number of parties involved? So we're just flipping the mathematical equation. So in a multi-party derivative setup like ours, you can have amazing returns when you are right, but you never lose more than you put in. So there is no leverage and there are no surprise margin calls. You don't have to keep covering your trades. And this, I think, will be the key appeal of what we have put together. Yes, uh, the appeals to me, you know, I, I've seen the best, best trades or the best setups go 100x leverage and lose. <laughs> you yeah. know, they never lost before and they lost, <laughs> um, you know, but so, I'm so that sounds good to me. Um, I stay away from leverage. <laughs> but your, your your solution sounds like you know I'd be interested. Um, you are the inventor of multi-party settlements. Um, yeah. at least a, a mechanism for it. Can you explain, please, what this invention does and your inspiration behind the invention? Right. So that that was the kind of what the part of the answer I gave before. Uh, okay. So it, it feeds into that. So the multi-party settlement mechanism actually allows us to take those thousands of traders and put them into one single contract, allowing for a direct settlement between themselves in a completely automated, transparent, and immutable manner, um, which is what the invention allows us to do. So the paper which I was writing in 2007 turned into a patent application with the United States Patent Office in June 2008, which is when we filed for the patent. So that was a few months before the Bitcoin paper came out, right? Just for people to orient at the timescale. It got approved in April 2011. And now we have waited for the world to catch up based on the 1999 lesson we learned that the world needs to be ready. Now, everybody talks about decentralization, democratization, right? Non-custodial nature of every product needs to be in place, self-sovereignty is key. These are all the aspects which we have been building on in our heads for over a decade, but really full force, 100% committed over the last three years. Got it. Um, how does, now I know that plays also into opinion-based value trading, right? Uh, how does opinion-based value trading work? So th this is just a euphemism for derivatives trading, right? Because everybody who's buying a call option has an opinion that the price is going to go up. Or uh, if you think that if, if your opinion is that the price is going to go down, you're buying a put option, right? If your opinion is that it's going to be a very volatile session, then you're looking for a volatility index. And what we are saying is 
that because we have uh, multiple parties in a single contract, essentially what you are trading between yourselves is the value in the form of money or stable coins or whatever it is, and it is based on your opinion, right? So it's just a smarter tagline for actually financial derivatives because all derivatives trading actually occurs based on people's very well-informed opinions on where the asset prices are going, which is also kind of the name of the platform itself if you think close cross, a lot of people have asked me why, what is close cross, why is that the name? So every asset has either a closing value or a cross rate between two assets, right? And that's what you're predicting on, so it's close cross. Great, um, let's talk about crypto then. You mentioned that you uh, launched your first digital currency in 1999. How does that early days of cryptocurrencies relate to some of the prediction cryptos that you see out there today, like? like Augur, like Genosis, and like others? Yeah, so Augur and Genosis are absolutely the prediction markets out there, right? And they'll let you predict on many different outcomes. Uh, the shortcoming I see there is that it's highly, highly complicated, right? I mean, you've got to go through four layers. You've got to fund your collateral, and then you're floating a contract, and you're hoping somebody comes in rather than a centralized party uh, who is issuing a derivatives contract in the current traditional environment. Now you've got more people playing the centralized party. So it's just replacing who is playing that role, right? So I don't see the direct link between the specific tokens or the cryptocurrencies and actually how the prediction markets behave, because those two are not necessarily one and the same thing, right? But looking at the digital currency which we had in 99, I think those were the seeds of thought, let's call it like that, right? Because the infrastructure was really not there to make it immutable. So you still had to rely on me being a digital uh, currency issuer who is a centralized party. So yes, it had some things correct, but a lot of things wrong with it. And I think what you see right now is this whole complete decentralization, especially with networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum, where it is absolutely decentralized. Some of the tokens are not, but we're not gonna talk about them and trash them today. But the ideas are building on top of each other. So I see the sphere of crypto developing by leaps and bounds in the coming months and years. You know, a few months are equal to a decade in the traditional world. So that's why I say months and years, because everybody's building on the new ideas that are coming about. And while everybody is trying to spot some pain points or some imbalances in the systems today, which can be corrected, um, I think it's just going to grow from here, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a difference between the normal crypto sphere, the evolution of the digital currencies into cryptocurrencies into something which is completely immutable and decentralized. But yeah, the cryptocurrencies which are helping platforms like Augur and Gnosis, I actually don't see a real need for those tokens. And I've had discussions about these on panels before. And which is why you see that they started with a single token platform, but they've quickly moved on to a dual token. Because what you're saying is if you are making predictions and if those predictions are volatile by nature, you cannot do predictions on a volatile asset with a volatile token itself, which is why you need stable coins, right? So we already had that in mind, which is why on our platform, we don't have our own tokens. You don't need a token to participate on our platforms. At least we don't have one right now. We might do one like a Uniswap airdrop once we've got enough customers who've done a lot of trading. So that is obviously on the table. However, that being said, I think the real idea for any prediction market is to base it on stable coins because you can't have volatile assets being used to bet on something which is volatile inherently in nature. Great. So I've, I've had 
I've been in this space since 2017, and I've had a different thought in mind regarding prediction markets. My background is with about a dozen years at AIG and okay. AIG-related companies. Uh, part right. of the time it was in general insurance, so I know there was a heavy actuarial role. And I see, you know, I said, okay, can prediction markets uh, replace the actuarial function? And then if they can, what are some of the other functions that your predict prediction and derivative markets can replace in the traditional business world? So um, there, there are two parts to your questions, right? One is very specific about the actuarial functions at major insurance companies, but the other one is simply about functions that can be replaced on the wider financial space. And I think if you look at the wider financial space, there is room for each and every function to be replaced at some point in time with some solution. Not every solution is going to solve every function in the current space, but there will be different bits and pieces, right? Um, so it's not about trying to fit a square, square peg in a round hole. Uh, there are many different shapes out there and they will fulfill all the different functions. I am sure about that. Something very specific like actuarial needs predictability in itself, right? Because you need to be very specific. So close cross is quite different in terms of providing you that predictability of your absolute returns, right? And there is a difference. There is a trade-off between saying we have solved for leverage and you don't need to take that on to make amazing returns. But on the flip side of it, the idea is that your returns are basically dictated or uh, unlimited or limited by the amount of funds that are pulled in from the other traders. So you do not know how much money you make. You know how much relative returns you are going to make against the other parties, depending on your time of entry and what price predictions you made, right? So in our case, you can't use that as a perfect hedge, but you can use it as a perfect speculative trade. Okay. Right, so, and so there will be other areas where you will be able to do that. Even the other prediction markets you said, like Ogre and Gnosis, they will not fulfill uh, the requirements of an absolute know-how of how much returns you're getting. Um, so you can't also use that in some of the traditional environments. If you are looking to hedge a dollar for a dollar-based payment coming up in six months, you can't do that. Okay, um, so that goes into, I guess it goes into knowledge, knowledge value. Um, and like, so you are the author of knowledge, value, and time algorithms. Uh, how can we apply these algorithms to the decentralized apps to dissolve, you know, the traditional financial barriers that we're just talking about right now? That's a, a fantastic question. And I will keep it brief, but we could talk about this for days, right? Because I take a very philosophical approach to this. Now, when I looked at all the functions that the centralized parties are providing, right? And when we talked about the provision of the dark pool funds, so we're not going to go there. The other thing the centralized parties do is they absorb all the market information, the news that is flowing out, the geopolitical situations, all the earnings report that are coming out. And then they apply the Black-Scholes formula, which is the time value of money to price their contracts, right? Uh, based on, of course, their risk appetites and so on and so forth. Now, if we are going to truly decentralize that aspect of a centralized function, what you need is an automation of the substantiation of the knowledge layer. And this is what I've added to the Black-Scholes formula. So I don't call it time value of money. I call it the knowledge value of time, because that's really where the universe is headed. And if you can objectively measure that knowledge value of time, you can absolutely use those algorithms to substitute any such function that is provided by a centralized party based on the time's value of money. Right? So that's a very important one. 
So you need two pillars to make any system completely decentralized and make it trader only. One is a multi-party settlement mechanism. And the other one is the algorithms which are going to actually replicate the efficient market dynamics in a decentralized environment. So what does that mean, efficient market dynamics? If you are a Goldman Sachs and if you're issuing thousands of contracts for Dow Jones in a month's time, uh, you are starting to sell the contracts on both sides. Then you see what the market is actually buying. You use that crowd wisdom by saying, oh, if 9,000 out of the 10,000 contracts are saying it's going up, we better hedge our bets, reduce our risk, and make the put options more uh, incentivized. So they'll price them lower, they'll reduce the spreads, they'll give you a higher amount of leverage if you want, they'll give you higher returns. And these are the mechanisms which they are using, right? So that is how it's done. In a continuous trading environment where assets have order books, it's a perfectly efficient market dynamic because you know every time it, it gets balanced by itself. But in a decentralized environment, if you want to mimic the efficient market dynamics and if you want to equate the risk reward, you need these algorithms, which are the knowledge value of time algorithms. So we keep that as a trade secret for ourselves right now. Great. Um, yeah, I don't usually look, look to, to, I know the crypto market overall in general is an efficient market. Uh, each individual crypto is not, but um, yes. you know, applying, applying the formula to those to make maximum returns is a, is a science, I believe. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So that, that, that hopefully answers the question that com combination of these two aspects will absolutely dissolve any barriers to entry into any traditional financial markets. Great. Now, speaking of dissolving barriers, uh, why do you say now is the time? You said now is the time to move from financial markets to alternative markets or from the traditional markets to alternative markets. How can we as a global society achieve that shift? Right, again, fantastic question. You do a great job here. Uh, and I could talk about this also very long. However, let's say this. Now, if we are able to dissolve the barriers to the traditional financial markets with the mechanisms we have in place, um, if you take a step back, the realization or the origination of these ideas came from uh, two key realizations, right? I wouldn't call it epiphanies because that's a very big word. One is the world is so much more connected today than a century ago when most of these traditional markets were put in place, right? So, and the technologies that are available to us today are leaps and bounds ahead of also a century ago when this specific structures were put in place. If you look at when the derivatives markets came into existence around the 1930s, it needed a hub and spoke mechanism. It needed the centralized parties. People weren't connected. There were no platforms where people could easily interact. So you needed a central place where all the spokes would go in and start trading with a centralized party and they essentially act as clearing houses. They manage the risk between all these different trades and some of them will get it right, some of them will get it wrong and that's how you made money. So you needed that hub and spoke mechanisms. But today, it's no longer that, right? E even if you look at some of the pictures you see from time to time on LinkedIn, where they say, how should a people's organization should look like? And it's an organigram or a centralized structure or your network. Now, it's a network economy. It's the same thing with the traders. It's a network. It's out there. You don't need a hub and spoke mechanism anymore. The people are connected to each other in many different ways. And there is no friction in that interactivity. So that we can take away from the need for the traditional structures. In the technologies that we have today, we don't need to place our trust in a centralized party. We can trust in code. 
right? We have those technologies today. And which is why I'm saying that with the technologies available to us today, we can trust in the code. You can test everything. You can challenge everything. People can talk about it. And with the interconnectivity and the new technologies, absolutely the time is now for everybody to move away from the traditional markets to the decentralized market or the alternative markets. And these are alternative markets right now, but in 20 years, these will be the mainstream markets, right? You can see, uh, I don't want to use the word woke, but uh, there is an increasing demographic that is very, very clear about what they want out of the financial system. They don't want to have a centralized party who has a balance of power in their favor and try to fight an uphill battle. They want a level playing field, right? They want to have much more ease of use less use of financial jargon and less things that make you feel stupid even when you're not if you look at the derivatives market it's 1200 trillions per annum in notional value right that's 10 times the global gdp however only one to two percent of the population ever participates in that market it's not that 98 percent of the people are stupid they're very smart they can absorb the news just as well as anybody else they know where the geopolitical situations are, what the earning reports look like, and they have an idea where the markets are going. Why they stay out is just because of the unnecessary complexity that the system has built in. You ask anybody, go and price this derivative and I'll give you Delta, Vega, and Rho. Um, I, I can tell you, not many people will be able to make an Excel sheet that can calculate a return on investment or even a break-even point. Why would you need that, right? So this is also something which we are addressing by saying it needs to be a human system. Pick an asset, tell us where it's going, put down how much ever you want, and that's all you need to do. Everything else has to be taken out into the background because that's not something which you need to do. Combine that with what we've done in terms of eliminating leverage whatsoever. So you have the peace of mind. You don't have any unquantified risks. You can lose what you put in, but you can never lose more than what you put in. And we also try to make fairer for our new increasing demographic by saying you never have to pay any fees for account opening, for maintaining this, all these fixed costs from the traditional system, out. You don't need them, right? Absolutely not. We don't even charge the people who make trades wrong. If you got it wrong, we won't charge you. You lose the money you put in, but there will be no other fees. We only charge profitable trades for our facilitation fee, right? We are the zero knowledge standard of the derivatives world where we create a traders on the environment and let people have the returns they truly deserve and trade just between the traders. That's awesome. That's that's awesome. Because um, I know a lot of people. You know, you lose on the trade, and then you lose, and then you, know, you have to pay fees on top of it. And like, okay, you're wiped out. Yeah. You know? Um, I grew. I I have one one further question before the final question. Uh, I grew up in the uh, in the AIG realm of you know credit default swaps, right? Um, so what? other unique instruments do you think are out there where you can apply your um, algorithms, your standards, your, you know, what you created um, to maybe shift the way that those products are constructed? So the next thing which is on our innovation horizon is the tradable notes, right? Um, and we are going to apply the same tax stack, the same basic mechanisms and the same multi-party settlement and knowledge value of time algorithms for those as well. So, uh, I mean, you can read about that. We've got a blog on our website, closecross.com. You can see a blog post which just talks about that innovation and how we are going to bring to life. Uh, we want these innovations to be a natural evolution. So you get used to the multi-party derivatives, then you're going to get the tradable notes coming out of it, right? Uh, essentially, again, what are notes today? 
those are just backed by the same dark pools. And as I said, if we can substitute the dark pools with the trade funded pools, there you go. Um, we, we, we are going to go after tradable notes uh, after this. So that's the next large chunk of the financial market that we would be going after. Great. Uh, so my final question now is, well, first of all, thank you very much for your time. Um, I, uh, I enjoyed our conversation and I feel a lot smarter now <laughs> and I know more knowledgeable about the markets. So, um, so how can people uh, contact you or learn more information about you? So they can absolutely, first of all, go to the website. It's closecross.com to find out more information. We also have a Telegram community, uh, which is also, you can find the link on the website itself. So if you want more one-to-one -one interaction, we are all available. We are not uh, you know, uh, hiding behind some administrators on the Telegram community. You can feel free to ask any questions. And of course, there are other social platforms where you can also find all the links to on our website to interact with us. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Jamil. It's been an absolute pleasure being here. Thank you.